Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> wow. Well, I wish everybody could be as enthusiastic as you. Yeah. yeah. Merry holiday season, everybody. That's right. That's right, everybody. Don't be a Grinch. Go out and love someone for Christmas. And it's nice because, you know, we just had a huge snowstorm hit. I don't even mm-hmm. know how much snow we got here. I stopped counting. It was a monster. It's below zero outside, and so it's nice that we have the little things like Christmas lights to keep us warm and cozy. Let me tell you, it was hard to keep my Christmas cheer today. because Uh So in my condo complex, I do the laundry outside of the the condo. And so I went in and I did uh, the laundry in uh, one of the laundry rooms today, and it didn't drain, okay? (gasps) Uh So three full washers that did not drain... And so I had to try to take him to another washer, but the other washer was right outside and I had to walk outside and go back in and then I'm like, oh, it won't be that big of a deal, but it was so heavy and I brought plastic (laughs) bags to put the wet laundry in so it wouldn't get everywhere. And then uh, like my robe and everything just went right through the plastic bag. Oh man. And it's negative 10 so that the clothes are getting stuck to the cement the temperature it's approaching or it might already be at that temperature where if you go outside and blow bubbles, they freeze and they shatter when mm-hmm. they hit the ground. Yeah, it's awesome. So did that happen to your robe? Did it <laughs> shatter when it hit the ground? <laughs> that happened to my soul when I was carrying 110 pounds of laundry outside, but uh, just sopping oh. wet. Anyway, so it was hard to keep my Christmas cheer until the Packers won today. And what a great Yay. way. So that, right, so that came right back. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry you had to deal with that. There's That's nothing okay. worse than being in the freezing cold. And of course, if you're soggy and wet that's that's not cool but whatever it's warm and toasty in here Mm -hmm. and we're enjoying the season now mike what is your favorite christmas movie do you have one uh die hard is my favorite christmas movie um (laughs) but the, the uh i this year for the first time in like a decade i watched elf Oh, such a classic. Yeah, and I don't know. Modern classic. It is a modern classic. And I didn't realize, first of all, uh, Kyle Gass from Tenacious D is in there. What? Yeah, Rage Cage is in there. Who is he in the movie? He's uh, one of James Kahn's assistants that works at the publishing company. No way. That's awesome. And so I saw it. I'm like, oh, yeah, Rage Cage, Kyle Gass from Tenacious D is in this movie. (laughs) And I just I just forgot that a lot of the the bit parts are played by comedians and by more uh, you know f- by more famous people than bit actors usually get, get parts. Sure. So that's how you know it was a great script because everybody wanted to be part of it. That's cool, and it is a good one. It's a cute yeah, it's a movie. fun movie. And so I, I I normally don't like Will Ferrell. I mean, I like him as comedy, comedy, oh, but I'm not a big leading leading man. He just I just have a hard time buying him. I like it when he's ridiculous and stuff. But if you're trying to get Will Ferrell to sell me on some drama, I just can't buy it. So he's perfect. Well, good thing Elf is such a dramatic, <laughs> yeah, dramatic movie. Right. There's no there's no tear jerking in Elf. So Wendy, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, you know, it's hard to say what my favorite one is. I mean, for the holidays, I always love planes, trains, and automobiles. Mm, oh yeah, that's a. I mean, um, but Christmas time, I like Love Actually a lot. Oh, that's that a is a good one. That is a good one. Too. 
Yeah. And then, um, you know, I watched Christmas Vacation recently, which so great. Oh, yeah. And I, I hadn't seen that movie, actually, in, in a really, really long time. And it's fun to see Chevy Chase so young. Right. And Randy Quaid before he was crazy, <laughs> before the Star Whackers were after him. You yeah. guys can go back. We have a whole episode where we talk about Randy Quaid and the Star Whackers. That's right. Celebrity conspiracy theory. And that's like two years ago we talked about that because that's when the guy from Creed was having those issues and everything. So anyway, Christmas Vacation is a classic. I don't think I've seen it all the way through since I saw it in the movie theaters in 1989. Oh, okay. So I really recommend going back and watching it now because- okay. As, you know, grown-ups, <laughs> right. you have a different perspective and you see Chevy Chase's character is just so adorable and he's trying so hard. He loves Christmas and he loves his family. Right. And it's just, it's completely different now from when we saw it as kids. Okay. So I would recommend checking it out again with, with your different perspective now. <laughs> and, and Christmas Vacation, is it is it Juliet Lewis that plays his daughter? Oh, I don't remember. I think so. I know that she played the daughter in one of the movies and I thought that was fun. And Anthony Michael Hall from Weird Science plays the son, yeah. I think, in the original. And anyway, so Christmas Vacation is a classic. And Christmas movies are fun. And we hope everybody is enjoying their holiday season, no matter what you decide to celebrate. Uh, it's the end of the year. So even if you don't believe in anything, have a party and celebrate because you yeah, deserve I it. I like to say, you know, holiday cheer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, you have a reason to be happy and be with people you love and celebrate and keep warm, you know? So it's like we're, we're heading toward, and I hate to even think about it or talk about it, but we're heading toward those months where it gets really cold and really nasty and unpleasant here in the Midwest. And you have nothing to celebrate. Right. It's, a, it's the months where so, you wa- when you walk along a bridge and you're like, you know, would this break my neck if I went? No, you know, like if I, no, 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 no. If I but, just a little but bit right over now, the side. Right now it's cold and unpleasant and nasty, but it's festive. So yeah. we have our little parties and things. And it seems to be less unpleasant, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. So, so enjoy, enjoy yourselves it. no matter what you decide to do. Yes. You know, Wendy, I got to say that, you know, we've talked about Christmas monsters before, especially in Iceland. The only way to keep those kids good is tell them that the monsters are coming for them in Iceland. <sighs> uh, we've talked about Krampus, the Christmas demon, who we all love. Yes. We've talked about Christmas ghost stories, but we haven't talked about Christmas aliens yet. You know, you're right. We haven't. Yeah. So we thought this would be the perfect time to introduce, um, well, a gentleman, an author who has a very interesting perspective on what he believes that God from the Bible, the the Abrahamic God, so the the God of the, uh, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and the Muslim faith, and I guess it also would be the God of the Mormons, too, because they all kind of, like, they're all like sequels. Like, the Old Testament's the first movie. The New Testament is, like, the, the first sequel, like, the Bible, too. Uh, the, the Quran is the third sequel, and then the fourth sequel, like, a few years later, and it's almost like a TV spinoff, is the Mormons. Right. And so they all belong to the same kind of, it's all the same God they worship. And so yep. he believes that that God is an alien, and created life on earth uh, and interfered with the Neanderthals and planted the seeds of faith in their brain so he could feast on their prayer energy. Wow. Right. That's kind uh, of an interesting way of thinking of it. Mm-hmm. And, and since Jesus is the reason for the season, we talk about how Jesus was a hybrid of an alien and human. 
And we'll get, yeah, right. And we'll get into the reasons uh, why Yahweh, this alien creator God, decided to have a son that's half human and half alien. And we get into it. And I tell you, Reverend John Polk, who we talked to today, has some really interesting experiences. He's got a lot of stuff to say. And it was just a lot of fun to talk to him. Excellent. Well, here at See You on the Other Side, we love hearing different perspectives and just different ways of thinking about things. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Yeah, there's no room at the end, but there's plenty of room on the spaceship. Let's go to it. Coming to us from Orlando, Florida, our special guest today is an author and metaphysical minister, and we're excited to have him on. See you on the other side, Reverend John Polk. How you doing, John? Um, excellent. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. And how are you enjoying? I, I just asked you what the weather was like in Orlando. And what did you say it was again? 76 degrees, sunny skies, um, 82 tomorrow. Oh, good God. Lucky man. Lucky. We are getting 10 inches of snow in Wisconsin this weekend. And I get if you're snowboarding or skiing, you're going to love it. If you are not, <laughs> then you're going to hate shoveling. So I admire your choice. Of, are you from Orlando originally? Um, no, I grew up in Daytona Beach. So I'm from the beach. Okay, but you're you're a Florida guy originally. Yeah, I am. I was born in North Carolina, but I moved here when I was two years old, and I've lived here for the most part ever since. Okay, so you've got to enjoy warm weather your entire life. I have. (laughs) All right, lucky man. Uh, Anyway, John, you've written a couple of books here that we're going to talk about today, and just to give people an idea of what you're all about, one of your books is The Blue Beings, Visitation at the UFO Conference, and your other book is... Yahweh, the biblical God, is an alien. And uh, one of the reasons we thought it'd be a perfect week to talk to you is because this is our Christmas episode. And this is the time of year when people start, you know, they think about church, they think about religion, they think about Jesus and uh, Yahweh and God and stuff like that. You know, when I, I grew up Catholic in Milwaukee, and when we grew up, there'd be the people that would only come to church on Easter and Christmas. Oh, the, the CEOs. Uh, yeah. Right. Can you explain that? The Christmas and Easter only, the CEOs. Right. The CEOs, exactly. Or a lot of times they call them cafeteria Catholics. They pick out the things <laughs> they, they like from the religion and then they leave back the things they don't. And I mean, obviously I'm not, not really practicing anymore, but those, uh, you know, those church experiences as a kid stuck with me my entire life. And so, I mean, this is the time of year people are thinking about Jesus. People are thinking about uh, God and the nativity and the manger and everything. And Yahweh is an alien certainly gets to that point. And so before we get to that, let's give a little bit of your history too. How did you get into the metaphysical? Uh, my mother, when I was five years old, my mom uh, was doing the Ouija board with me. And, you know, are you pushing it? No, are you pushing it? No, are you pushing it? No, are you pushing it? You know, mom, I swear I'm not pushing it. Honey, if you're pushing it, you you need to tell me, you know, because we're messing with the spirit world here. And what I believe is that that opened up the vortex. The board itself is a vortex. My mom is a medium. Um, I'm a medium myself. But then the vortex opens up exponentially, collectively, between the board and the two people that are engaging the board. And um, so shortly thereafter, I started to see angels. And I've seen angels uh, pretty much ever since, since I was a kid. So when you were really young, let's say five or six years old, Mm -hmm. when you saw an angel, 
How did it appear to you? Like, did it come into your room? Was it something physical? Was it transparent? Like, just set the scene real quick, because I'm trying to think of when I was a kid, and if I'd have seen something like that, I would have crapped my pants. So, like, how did that happen to you? Um, the one big misnomer about seeing angels is that you don't necessarily see a bust. You don't necessarily see a head and shoulders and hair and facial features. Mm-hmm. What I normally see, uh, although I have seen a full manifestation multiple times, many times actually throughout my life, uh, but what I normally see is like bent light or orbs or almost like a Paisley-like kind of uh non-physical energy that is displacing which is displacing light so one way to to teach people how to do this and i can teach people how to do this is to look at a nondescript point um in on the wall of your home or on your ceiling where there's no art there's nothing that's going to distract you just kind of like a plain white plain white wall and then if you can start to see a bending of light almost like uh in the movie predator how he used the environment around him as camouflage, reflecting the light. That's basically what I see. I see bent light, which denotes to me that there's some kind of energetic signature there. uh, And often it will move also. So, And then that's when I know that there's something in the room with me. But something to consider is that angels, extra-dimensional beings, ultra-terrestrials, extra-terrestrials are always there they're just vibrating at a higher frequency that is not visible to the human naked eye but if you can traverse your body mind spirit raise your vibration to a higher frequency you can actually see and tap into these extra dimensional realms which literally lay right on top of the third density the 3d earth plane okay so that's how you're kind of seeing it now when you first saw it was that how it was just notice something a little like strange in the room or mm-hmm. was that original sighting uh, like a full body kind of thing where you kind of figured out what it was quick? Um, no, it was more like the the bent light kind of thing. But um, <clears throat> also uh, when I was 13, I really started to see something in the mirror. I knew that there was something there and I would call, I would call it you for just lack of something else to call it. I'd look in the mirror sure. and you was not always there. And when I would see you, I would say you. And I would have like a, an open communication with whatever this was. And to me, it was my own higher concentric self communicating to me from a, a, a higher density or let's say a, a different density, a different dimensional realm. Okay. So when, when you started seeing stuff in the mirror and, and seeing mm-hmm. a being that you thought could be like an extension of yourself or like you on the ethereal plane kind of thing, is that how you were thinking it? Yeah, Exactly. Uh, at the time, I didn't interpret it as such. I just knew something was there. But many, okay. you know, decades removed, you know, you reexamine what exactly was it? How can I define it so that I can understand it for myself? And that was the best way that I could understand it for myself. And so when you were a kid and you first uh, started feeling these presences, how did they make themselves known to you in, did they have a message? Did you just see them like, you know, out of the corner eye or thing, or, or did they have a message for you? Uh, all of the above. What would normally happen is I would not be paying attention to them, and something would literally pull my head to the side, and then I would see them. So, so now I have to question and ask myself: What was it? Some conscious 
some consciousness or conscious being that does not necessarily have a physical body in the third density is pulling my attentions, placing thoughts in my mind to make me think and act upon. And then, so it's basically communicating with me telepathically, basically saying, you know, turn your head over this way and look at me and then open the, uh, open the channel for communication that way. Okay. Were you scared by it the first time or? Never. So you, never. it never was, because mm -hmm. I think about, you know, the people that have had experiences with uh, schizophrenia and it's usually, you know, it's, it feels like a different person when it's really themselves. And I'm, I'm not suggesting anything, but I'm saying is that would be my, my point of reference would be thinking about how uh, people I've known have been affected by that. And then, but a lot of times it says scary things or like the extra presence in their head will say stuff that is completely off the wall and, and they're scared by it. But never a scary thing for you. No, you know what? I have to retract that statement. Um, there's there's one there's one succubus basically that has been attached to me my whole life, um, and this is a really messed up story. But I, I started to get visions of who and what this was, and an actual psychic medium that actually conducted the ghost tour at the Titanic exhibition here in Central Florida. She Ooh. came to my house. Her and her best friend came to my house to do um uh to do a seance also to extract this being from my life and it did not work it did not work one of them ended up in the hospital after trying to do this um but through becoming a reiki master and becoming uh, a metaphysical minister i've learned how to better manage this entity that is stuck to me for life but it goes back to a past lifetime where I started to get these like quick little movie clips, like a movie montage of what happened and what I did to this this actual human being in a past lifetime who has since passed. And then the spirit is now what you would call an earthbounder, stuck in between dimensions because it can't go to the light because it's too dense. Um, and her name is actually Elizabeth. But what I believe is in a past lifetime that we were married and that I was physically and even possibly sexually abusive to her oh. and so so my karma circle come full round uh, in a different incarnation she's attached to me and is there primarily to wreck my love life which she's been instrumental in pretty much my whole life okay oh that's i mean that's a bummer like i i think i've got one of those no no i, I, think, I, used to, I think i used to have one of those and, and everything's cool that's an interesting thought and i think one of the things you you mentioned a couple of times now and i kind of want to get a definition for the people listening is the term density now how are you defining the term how are you using the term density in this kind of spiritual context that's a good question density um can translate and to dimensional also so in, in the third density or in the third dimension, I vibrate at a certain frequency. Uh, but what I also believe is, that, and this goes back to metaphysics, we all have what we call a God self or our soul. And it is the part of the universal God consciousness that he lends to us, I shouldn't say he, that the father mother lends to us for this particular lifetime in this particular incarnation. And since our God self or soul is a part of God, it is omnipotent. Therefore, it exists in all dimensional planes simultaneously. So as I'm talking to you now, sitting on my couch in the third density 3D earth plane, I coexist and I'm 
not just bilocated, I'm omnilocated in all dimensional frequencies simultaneously. So in another dimension, I'm in the fourth density. In another dimension, I'm in the fifth density. In another dimension, I'm in the seventh, all the way up to the 13th dimension. And then there's nano dimensions and densities beyond that um, to an exponential clip. So it's really pretty much impossible to explain every dimension because there's like an unlimited amount of dimensions. But the ones that we can actually wrap our heads around I would say that there's there's 13 and that we exist in all of them in one form or another. And that and that's an interesting idea too. The, the, the idea of the God self almost makes me think of uh, Plato and the Platonic ideal that, that these forms existed in a perfect level somewhere. You know, that there's a perfect example of a sheep. There's a perfect example of you, John. There's a perfect example of me. And now we here in this flawed existence are just non-perfect representations of something that is perfect somewhere else in the universe. So I think that's interesting when you're talking about the God self, that it connects to, there's pieces of it that connects to a platonic philosophy that um, probably a lot of philosophy 101 people like me can relate to easily. So that's a cool idea. Now, when you started to get involved in all of this, you realized you were seeing things, you were getting telepathic messages from other creatures when did you tell somebody about this the first time? Did you tell your mom? Like you said, you, you were able to share the Ouija board and, and it do kind of spooky stuff with your mom, and that's fun. When did you share the fact that, Mom, I think angels have been talking to me? Since I was five years old. I could be open with my mom about it. My dad, um, PhD in education, university professor for 40 years, could not talk to him about it whatsoever. Right. Um, although he's a closet believer. And just doesn't want to acknowledge it. Okay. So, but, but, so you, you at least had somebody to talk to about it immediately and, and share oh, yeah. your experiences with. And that helps you grow so much. You know, I mean, imagine if you're five years old, you have an imaginary friend or, you know, whatever. And then your parents just kind of talk down to you about it. Like, you know, you're just imagining things. It's not real. Then mm-hmm. more than likely, you're going write to write it off as if it is not real. And then you'll end up, uh, actually lose that ability to see into that other dimension. Kids can do it better than we adults can for the most part because they're not so programmed and brainwashed into thinking that those things don't exist. They're more open-minded. You know, let's pretend. And right. well, that's the beauty of a child's mind is that they're not, you know, stuck in a box. But guess what? There's only a box if you create one. There's only a veil if you allow one to shield your vision. So, you know, I, there is no box for me. There is no veil. That's a cool, it makes me think about Quantum Leap, how the uh, kids could also see Al, the guy that would always follow around Sam, the Dean Stockwell character, kids could see Al too because their minds were open to it. Their minds were open to that presence in the room with them. And um, I like how you did that, that it's a box of your own creation. And I think that in so many, like that goes for almost anything. <laughs> sure. I mean, it can apply to any context, really. Because we allow ourselves to create limits, oftentimes before we've even tested the limits of how far we can go. So we've talked a little bit about the presences that you felt in your life and the things that you've seen. And you said you've seen physical manifestations and you talk about extra dimensional beings and extraterrestrials. And it's, it's like there's a whole pantheon here of characters and uh, beings in this universe, let's get to a little bit somehow uh, how they've affected your, your book writing. Because I, I think one of the first things that interested me, obviously, the, the hook that got me right away is 
Yahweh, the biblical God, is an alien. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, okay, now we've talked to the, we've talked to the Christian whistleblower, uh, Jeffrey Doherty before, and he's got some ideas of his, you know, in, in his terms, the Lord. I mean, I know you've talked to Jeff too. He's been on your show. Yes. And he's got his ideas of the, of the Lord as a separate character than Yeshua, you know, the Jesus that he believes was the, the true son of God. And so then I was like, okay, well, Yahweh is an alien. How did you first get that idea of the idea of uh, the you know the the Christian Judaic uh, Islamic God is a creature from outer space? Well, I mean, we can go. Let's go right to the jugular. Let's go to the okay. Old Testament of the Bible. I'm in. Okay, Old Testament of the Bible. Enoch, who is actually the scribe of the gods, also known as Metatron, an archangel. Um, God descends from the heavens in a fiery chariot. Okay, so now now God has to have a vehicle. Okay, a chariot is basically a description of a vehicle that flies through the sky. So now my omnipotent, all-powerful God requires technology to be able to move from point A to point B. He descends right. to he descends to earth and picks up. So now he's picking him up in this fiery chariot. Enoch enters the fiery chariot and then ascends into heaven basically to be taught the Akashic record. And that's why he's the scribe of the gods. So just think about what that says, you know? Right. Number why one. Why does God need a starship, right? That's from Star Trek V. <laughs> like, why does God need a starship? Yeah. And also very interesting, the um, uh, Joseph Blumrich is actually your quintessential and proverbial rocket scientist. He worked on the Mariner Projects. Um, you know, decades ago. And okay. he authored a book, The Spaceships of Ezekiel. So he actually believed before he started doing his research that it was just a metaphor for, for God. Okay. But he actually did research and read this passage in the Bible over and over and over and over again and came to the conclusion that it was actually a spaceship. So he authored a book, The Spaceships of Ezekiel. And there are references to spacecraft all throughout, more specifically the Old Testament, which Christians today conveniently forget and omit from their biblical studies, which is a shame and it's a travesty. Uh, they should embrace that whole book. You just can't pick out the parts that appeal to your own selfish wants and desires. Well, that's and, the cafeteria we were talking about before, you know, like the, you, you, oh, yeah. you, pick, you pick and choose things to like. I think of the Old Testament like the Godfather and the New Testament like the Godfather too. Like uh, they they work best when they're put together, and that the whole you know when the for studying it uh, when you look at the the entirety of both of those books is where you 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 can't get the correct perspectives of the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament like the people who wrote it they knew the Old Testament. I, I agree completely. I mean, even in the Quran, um, Muhammad traveled from Mecca to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem on a Barak, just like Barack Hussein Obama. Do you know what Barack literally translates to in Arabic? No, I don't know. An eight-legged horse whose legs are on fire that flies through the air. So Muhammad climbed into, not on top of, but into a Barak, okay? And in one day, he traveled from Mecca to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and then from the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, which to me is a big landing pad for UFOs, sure. ascended ascended into the heavens to meet with Allah. 
Well, number one, why do you have to travel in a barack? An eight-legged horse, there's no horses with eight legs, especially with legs that are on fire, that flies through the air. So these references to basically UFOs are not just indigenous to Judeo-Christian texts or the Quran. They are fabled throughout all of history. I mean, even going to um, the, the flying carpets of the Arabian Nights. You know, Solomon gave Sheba, his wife, a flying carpet so that she could travel around, you know, Ethiopia and to and from uh, the Temple Mount. You know, I mean, there's so many references to it. These are all ignored by theologians. And it's really, it shows very much subjective research on their behalf. The idea, though, real quick, in your book, when you talk about uh, Yahweh, you speak of him as the alien creator God. I do. So you think that Yahweh, uh, I mean, even though he is an alien, extraterrestrial, or extra-dimensional being, also did the creation, though. So he, she, still is responsible for life on Earth? Is, or it's not like just some kind of imposter or something. It's a, like in Stargate or whatever, where they have imposter. This God actually does manipulate human behavior. Well, and create life. Uh, to, me, to me, Yahweh is actually Enlil. Of the Anunnaki. So Enlil, um, there's been many human creation stories in our Earth's history. Okay. The Anunnaki, I'm sorry, the Sumerian Kings List, okay, found in Sumeria, uh, dates back 450,000 years. Okay. Which just blows all theologians' theories out of the water. Right. And if you look at the, um, the Sumerian Kings List, there's some there's some kings that live to be 40,000 years old. And if you add up the lifetimes of all of these kings, you know, we humans, you know, we're lucky to live to be what late 80s, early 90s at the most. Yeah, that's these a good kings, run. These kings were were living thousands upon thousands of years. So clearly they had to be something more than just homo sapien sapien. Uh they had they had alien or Anunnaki DNA in them which enabled them to live these very, very, very long lives. Even Methuselah and Noah in the Bible lived to be eight and 900 years old. Yeah, and, and, and Moses lived a super long time too, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So like, there is a whole bunch of characters in the Old Testament. I mean, Methuselah obviously is the famous one, <laughs> but I mean, there's so many characters in the Old Testament that live for a, a way longer than what we would consider a regular human lifespan. When you talk about the Anunnaki now, are we connecting them to the original legends of the Anunnaki? Are we connecting them to David Icke's Anunnaki aliens? Like when, when you talk about the Anunnaki, are you connecting them to the original legends or are you connecting them to more like David Icke's uh, alien species? I'm connecting them to the biblical stories. Okay. You know, these, these three Abrahamic religions. You know, Abraham was from Ur, which is in Iraq also. Um, so, but all three of those religions... Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they're all Abrahamic. It doesn't really make a lot of sense unless they were all created by the same creator God, Alien, to create um, to create the power of three. You have your creationism, your creation energy, which is at the top of the pyramid. Um, so imagine the apex of a pyramid, okay. a triangle shaped like that. The very top is your creation energy, and immediately you go downhill to the bottom right, right-hand right corner. And then the line that goes from that corner and goes across is the energy that maintains. 
which is Jesus Christ. And then you go from the bottom left corner back up to the top, you have your recreation energy to start the cycle over again. And this is what uh, Yahweh or Enlil of the Anunnaki did because unfortunately, life is cyclical. So we end up going through patterns over and over and over again. The earth does itself. The earth has its own spirit. The earth goes through patterns. And so do the alien creator gods. And so does humanity on the planet. And unfortunately, there has to be a birth, a life, and a death. But without the death, you cannot reincarnate and come back as something new. So this is this, is this power of three, the trinity, the divine trinity that exists within all of us, exist within the creator god aliens themselves, including Enlil. So he created his own trilogy within himself to grow closer to the universal God consciousness. Now let's extrapolate that. So he's doing that on this planet. So when we pray to him, especially now, like you said, around Christmas and the holidays, okay, it's all based on, I mean, Christ mass, Christmas, it's all based on God. It is, or at least it's supposed to be. A lot of us lose sight of that, but it's supposed to be based on God. So when we pray to God, guess what? Or Enlil, he actually receives that prayer energy and can use it in a supernatural capacity. He knows how to harness it and use it to build his own collective God, self, or soul exponentially. You know, there is power in prayer, and I know that we all believe that. You know, there's power in the spoken word. There's power in meditation. So think about the power in prayer. So now, when we die... Um, the Egyptians believe that our soul uh, splintered into 13 parts, and I tend to believe that they're probably correct. So a part of our soul actually goes through Enlil's false version of heaven before you actually go to the God light, cycle through it, and then come back into a different reincarnation. Okay, so let's unpack a little bit of that there. So Enlil, or Yahweh, as we're talking about this alien creator God, uh, feeding off of our prayer energy, what is he like? What's he? What's he doing? What's his plan? Like, is it just you know, like like we eat, you know, like I'm thinking about how much protein I get or you know my carbs. Is Enlil concerned with like he needs? We talk about Santa Claus. I mean, I'm, but but you know what I mean? Like the idea that faith keeps him alive, faith keeps him going. Is there like a power that psychic energy keeps Enlil rolling? If you want to look at it like that, it's like his supernatural food if you will, that it nourishes him. It does. So imagine I descend from the sky in a fiery chariot, okay? I land on a planet with primitive beings, humans, okay? Right. And and so I decide that the indigenous, which the, the primitive hominids that were here thousands upon thousands of years ago were not intelligent enough to be able to use to mine the gold. If you want to use the Zechariah Sitchin story that the Anunnaki landed here to mine this planet for precious minerals, uh, more specifically gold, to patch the atmosphere on their planet. Uh, but he realized that um, Neanderthal man was just not intelligent enough to be able to boss around. So he ended up mixing his DNA uh with the um, Neanderthal man on this planet to give it more intelligence, but didn't give it enough intelligence so that it could overrule him and overrun him. And what was happening, uh, the fallen angels, so in uh, Genesis 6, the sons of the gods descended to earth and mated with the daughters of men. 
So the sons of the gods translates into the fallen angels. Now, how can angels have sex with human beings? How is that even possible? Right, because angels don't even have genders, right? Like that's the idea is that an angel is a genderless creation. It's just a, it's a, a being, not a man or a woman. Right, exactly, exactly. But I got off track. But so imagine Enlil is not just doing this on our planet Earth. He's doing this on multiple planets throughout the Milky Way, throughout Andromeda, our neighboring galaxy, and throughout the multiverse, because there is more than one universe. So how much prayer energy and how many souls is he absorbing to um, exponentially expand his supernatural consciousness um, across the universe? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And that creator gods, they do that. They'll set up life on a planet, uh, and then they'll move on and do it on another planet. And then they'll move on and do it on another planet. And they leave their religion behind so that we constantly pray to them. But here's something that is that is thwarting Enlil's ascension process, is that the higher gods rule the heavens, the lower gods rule the planets and the underworld. Enlil wants to be counted amongst the higher gods. But as long as we pray to him, it creates a tractor beam effect. And is thwarting his ascension process. So the number one and the most important part of disclosure, which I believe is upon us probably before 2020, before the end of 2020, I do believe that we will experience a global paradigm shift into disclosure. I'm all um, for it. I, I'm all for it too. But the number one thing that has to happen is we have to realize that religion was created by extraterrestrials to keep us fighting with each other. When we realize that we all come from the same source, which I like to call the universal God consciousness, then all of a sudden the walls of religion will crumble and we realize that we all are one, regardless of what color our skin is, regardless of what religion, you know, it's called ethnocentricity. We believe in the religion in which we were brought up in because that's where we were born and that's what everybody believes. You know, if I was born in Saudi Arabia, I would more than likely be Muslim, you know. Mm-hmm. If I was born, you know, in just different, you know, if I was born an American Indian, I would believe in the star people instead of Jesus Christ, because that's what they were taught. Sure. And, you know, according to Christianity, everybody's going to go to hell except for Christians, because they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So, right. so Which is why they had to create limbo, you know, they had to create a special place for, for virtuous non-Christians and for babies who die before they are baptized to go, which always seemed to me like, you know, I think God have probably figured this out. You know, uh, God created everybody. He's, he's going to figure out that like, look, a baby's not just going to go to hell because he or she didn't have a chance to get baptized before they, you know, they're just a bundle of nerves. They got no choice in the matter. Right. So I think that's an interesting point. And I wanted to get to another point you were talking about. Sure. The idea that Enlil decided to mess with our DNA in order to become more intelligent, in order to get the prayer energy, and also to, uh, you know, I don't know about the mining for gold business, but in order to be able to, to use humanity's resources, they, they, they messed with our, our evolution. And I think that's interesting because, you know, they, they talk about how we are genetically disposed to be religious. Like we have inside mm-hmm. of our heads, you know, um, it's, it's almost a part of our biology to be disposed towards some kind of spiritual or religious belief. And, and a lot of religious experiences can be traced to pieces of the brain. So the idea that I need them to be more intelligent 
so that they can have these spiritual experiences and I can harvest this energy. Let's create them so that they are. And then, you know, it's, it's like we're being farmed for our prayers. I, you took the words out of my mouth. So to, to demonstrate what you and I just talked about scientifically, Dr. Dean Hamer, who's since passed, but in 2005, he discovered the God gene which is called VMAT number two, vesicular monoamine transporter number two. All humans have it. And this gene inside of our double helix, uh, we were born with this inherent want and need to have a God figure in our lives. You know, not everybody acts upon the gene or some some people are just blind to this gene that does exist within all of us. But mm-hmm. most of us, for the most part, are looking for some kind of divine being that we can pray to. And absolutely. And that's the scientific breakdown of it. Dr. Dean Hamer's uh, God gene, which is VMAT number two, vesicular monoamine transporter number two. So for the scientists, that's, that's how you sure. can explain that. How did you like gain some of this information? Like if you started getting telepathic messages from angels and extraterrestrial creatures when you were a kid, uh, how did you stumble upon the alien creator gods and Yahweh and Enlil? Like, how was that information introduced to you? Downloads. I just started receiving downloads. And what's what's interesting is that Enlil first came to me as Enoch. And then Enoch became Yahweh. And, and you said Enoch slash Metatron. So mm-hmm. Enoch was a human though, right? And Metatron was an angel. Yeah. Um, Elijah, who is Sandalphon, and... Um, Enoch, who is also known as Metatron, those are the only two archangels that were humans that lived on this planet, and there was never any record of them actually dying. What actually happened to both of them, fiery chariots came down from the heavens and took them up to heaven. So okay, I see. they never actually died. Um, now, the blue beings at the UFO conference, I believe that the one that talked to me out, out of 150 people, these blue beings walked up to me and there's 20 witnesses to this event. But I believe the one that talked the most um, to me and to everybody else, I believe that that is actually Enoch and that I'm drawn to Enoch and Enoch is drawn to me and he's a part of the Anunnaki pantheon um, that seeded life on this planet in the first place. So do you think that Enlil has a, um, like, what's his agenda? Like if he wants to keep rising in spiritual consciousness or power through the universe, I mean, is his agenda, like you think good or bad for humanity? I mean, it's good that he made us smarter, but I mean, made us smarter also, you know, you get mental illness and depression and all these horrible things that happen as a, as the side effects of being intelligent. Like what's his agenda? That's a good question. Um, he seeded life on this planet. He designed life on this planet um, with the three major religions on this planet, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam, so that we would pray to him so he could gain our prayer energy and our souls when we pass. But where that was making him strong before, now it's actually making him weak. Because like I was saying, his agenda is that he wants to be counted amongst the higher gods, okay? Um him moving on in his ascension process, if he leaves this planet in a shambles, which, you know, our planet's not in the best the best state that it is right, right now. You know what I'm saying? It's not. If he leaves right now and just becomes one of the higher gods and leaves us to our own um, 
to our own defenses and our own volition, uh, it will go badly for us, I believe. So I believe that he needs for disclosure to happen on this planet before he can actually ascend to the ranks of the higher gods. So that is his agenda. It's all about him, to be quite honest. Um, But I know that he believes karmically that if he leaves this planet in a shambles, still worshiping him, um, that everything will just bust. Everything will just be blown up back in his face, and he knows that. So, you know, he can't leave this planet in a shambles. He cannot leave this planet allowing us to think that he is God, when in effect, he's just a creator God alien. So he does have some affinity for the human race, even if it's just because he knows that he's going to get a karmic you know, kickback from it in the future. You know, we think about God, and we think about the God of the New Testament is always very, you know, it's, it's supposed to be, it's a loving God. God loves you no matter what. God will forgive you no matter what. I mean, except for the mortal sins, but even if you're penitent enough, you know, God is supposed to say, you know, it's going to be all right. You, you can come on into heaven. Is Enlil an all-loving kind of God? Um, he is yin and he is yang. He's a balance, just like there's a balance across the universe. You know, there's good and bad in all of us. Most of us, I would like to think, try and right. are good people. But we all are human. We all can be selfish. We all have the tendency to lie to protect ourselves more than anything else. Um, So, you know, is he more good than bad? Uh, One thing I do believe is where, you know, fire and brimstone in the Old Testament, he flooded the earth and killed everybody for the most part. He didn't kill everybody, but he killed most humans on this planet. I mean, yeah, with the the whole flood idea, you know, so what kind of what kind of benevolent God kills everybody? You know, so is he good and bad? And I also believe that that Jesus Christ is basically a hand sculpted deity that he genetically created with the genetics, part of his own genetics and part of the Virgin Mary's genetics. And the reason I believe that is that the Virgin Mary made him more human and humane. And the godlike qualities that Jesus had came from the Anunnaki, more specifically Enlil. And he realized that the fire and brimstone kill everybody. If you don't do what I say, you're going to burn in hell for all eternity, which is a basic concept and tenet of Christianity. He realized he's losing, he's losing followers by that approach. So he created Jesus Christ. So the duality, you know, right there in the Bible, you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament, two different books all cropped into one publication. And then and then we got to figure that it was written in Aramaic, then translated into Latin, and then translated into Greek and to Roman. And then actually, um, the books of the Bible were written anywhere from 130 to 160 years after the death of Christ. So right. how many times has it been changed, altered, hyperbolized, exaggerated, twisted? And then the Council of Nicaea with Constantine, uh, he got, Constantine got tired of of polytheism. He wanted everybody to worship one God. And I believe that this was directed by Enlil and Constantine didn't really even realize what he was doing. He was receiving it. So for a little history, you guys out there, Constantine was a Roman emperor who had Mm -hmm. a vision of a cross in the sky. And he was the emperor that changed, you know, we think about the Roman gods, you think about Jupiter and Juno and Mercury and Hades and everybody. I'm sorry, not Hades, Mars. Hades was the Greek one. But when you think about the uh, traditional Roman pantheon of gods, a lot of them borrowed from the Greek, 
Constantine was the one who said, hey guys, we're going to stop burning Christians alive and everything. And he saw that vision of the cross. And if he saw it, they converted to Christianity, then he would win his battles. And, and so that's why he switched uh, Rome to Christianity in like the third century. So if you guys were wondering why we're talking about uh, the emperor Constantine, it's because he moved the Roman Empire from a polytheistic religion to a monotheistic religion. Now, one thing I'm interested there, John, is that we can also talk about Akhenaten. Now, do we think that maybe the uh, Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten had the same kind of direction from Enlil to move Egypt from a uh, polytheistic society to a monotheistic society? And for some reason, in Egypt, it didn't take like it did in the Roman Empire? It did not take at all. I mean, he's known as the heretical pharaoh. Mm -hmm. um, he only ruled for like 17 years. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, so the Aten disc, there is only one God. And basically the Aten disc was a UFO, in my opinion. You know, you see the iconography, you see a disc with wings on it. How else can you interpret that? Yeah, it it's totally looks disc. like a UFO. <laughs> it's a disc that can fly. That's why it has wings. Um, and so, you know, he defaced all the older gods, took down all the iconography, all the statues, completely got rid of it. And then replaced it with the Aten. And then basically, uh, he was driven out of his pharaonic order. And, you know, and then actually his son, King Tut, ended up becoming king after that. Um, but what's, what's really weird is that King Tut was actually married to his grandmother at one time because they wanted to keep the, the royal bloodline pure. They did not want to incorporate human DNA into the pharaonic bloodline, which permeated through the Egyptian culture. Uh, but that's an exact same reference as to him trying to create monotheism out of polytheism. Mm. And the Egyptians were so rooted and steeped in their, their tradition that they weren't having it. He was not received well. He was not loved like Isis and Osiris were loved. They basically hated him. Are there other alien creator gods? Like when we talk about Egypt and stuff like that, are there other alien creator gods who are competing with Enlil for our prayer energy, for the resources on our planet? Um, a, a lot of Sitchinites, in other words, people that um, indoctrinate Zechariah Sitchin's word as the word of God in their mind, um, they believe he's, that the, he's the planet X guy. Um, we talked yes, about him. Exactly. So, so if you guys are listening at home, uh, go back and listen to the planet X episode if you want a quick refresher on Zechariah Sitchin. So please continue. But um, a lot of the Anunnaki proponents believe that all gods are Anunnaki across the globe. And I'm not buying that. Um, now, it, it's debatable. Were, was Zeus part of the Anunnaki? It's possible. Zeus, also known as Jupiter to the Romans, right. is, that, is that Enlil? It, it's it's a very hotly debated oh, topic sure. and question, um, but I don't believe that there is just one set of gods that Enlil is the god posing as Rama, Brahma, Shiva, and Krishna in the Indian epics in the country of India. I don't think that that's him. And the Dogon of the Mali Desert up in northern Africa, okay, they don't worship, you know, they have a different set of gods. Right. Um, you know, the Japanese, the worship Shinto gods. So I don't believe that that's part of the pantheon either. And this is interesting. Mount Kailash in Tibet is the home of Jainism, Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism also. 
Now, I believe that's a different pantheon of alien creator gods also. Is Buddha brought into this whole mix also as part of the Anunnaki? I don't think so. But what I do believe is that parts of Africa, more specifically Egypt, uh, parts of the Middle East, um, let's see, Italy and Greece, um, maybe even the Norse countries, that those were all interpretations of the Anunnaki. But I don't believe that they seeded life on every single country and every single culture on this planet. I don't think that they did. But this is interesting. In Peru, you can actually find uh, clay bowls with cuneiform writing that mirrors the Sumerian language. So it's it's very, it's very tenuous. It's very uh, sure. debated. Uh, but what I do believe is a long time ago that they did colonize the whole planet, and then they eventually pulled out to go colonize another planet. And when that happened, that's when these other creator god aliens came in and started to develop their own culture with their own people. Each of them started to find ways to exploit, <laughs> exploit our human resources the best they could. You know, getting back to what Enlil's agenda is and things. So Jesus is born as an alien-human hybrid with the Anunnaki DNA and the human DNA to kind of soften the message of Yahweh and the new covenant, the idea that your sins can be forgiven. If you go through the communion with God and you confess your sins, then you get to go to heaven at the end if you do enough good works and and don't have too many sins on, on your record. So if he was softening the message to get more believers in the, you know, two millennia ago, and he needs to get less human believers now to ascend. What's Enlil's end game for kind of wrapping up uh, his, you know, I, I guess it'd be an exit strategy. So what's Enlil's uh, exit strategy for Earth uh, so he can get that golden parachute, you know, of, of the next level? Um, like, how is he going to make us like believe in him less or what's his what's his plan? Uh, he still wants us to believe in him as a god. But he wants us also to quit suckling on Mother Universe's figurative teat, if you will, um, which is basically him. Because like I said, he cannot, it's thwarting his ascension process to be counted among the higher gods. He's still one of the lower gods because he rules planets. You see what I'm saying? He wants to be part of that council above those gods that rule the planets. He wants to tell the creator god aliens that rule the planets He wants to be on that council and tell them what to do. And the only way he can really do that is through uh, disclosure. And I believe that disclosure is not, not, it's definitely not up to our government. They will keep it under wraps forever because there's too much hidden technology and free energy out there that, you know, it will definitely be surfaced and it will be talked about more and more and more. Like, well, the, the, the water, the water driven engine. Where they can split the they can split the hydrogen atom in water and create energy out of it, and you can literally drive a car on water. And the guy who developed this back in 1998, he was killed in um in a parking lot of a restaurant after talking with um uh, the CIA about it. So anyway, uh, our government's not going to be the one to to come up with disclosure. Um, we, the people, are going to be suppressed from exposing disclosure because we're online all the time basically talking about disclosure as if it's already happened. It's right. really, it's up to the extraterrestrials. And there is a divine council that will dictate when this happens. And I believe that it's within the next 
three to five years tops that it will happen and it will change life on this planet fundamentally forever but it will allow all of us to grow and it will also allow all of us to hold hands and know that we are one that there is monotheism there is a universal god consciousness and we are all a part of it and that religion is just dividing us and making us go to war and that was the whole purpose of it in the first place that's an interesting thought to me that um Number one, the, the unity of the planet versus the invader feels like Independence Day. But to, like understanding that it, it took a whole planet to, you know, to understand that we're not alone in the universe to, to stop fighting with each other. And I think that was even part of, didn't Ronald Reagan say that before the UN in like 1980? He's like, you know, if an alien mm-hmm. came down, we wouldn't have our missiles aimed at Russia. We'd realize that we're part of a planetary people and, and not just a nation. And the religion aspect of it makes me think of Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End. In that you really find out that these creatures, these extraterrestrials are the, you know, like mythical demons of religion and that like religion ends when we see these aliens come down and we make that contact. And so I think disclosure, uh, it would be interesting that how would we treat each other? How would we have nations treat each other if we would understand that there's way more to the universe than just fighting over the resources of a tiny planet or fighting over, you know, which God eats bacon or, um, <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, which the, the wars between, um, you know, circumcision and all these kind of, or weird rules like that. Or e- even we find, you know, religious persecution in places like East Timor, Burma, you know, where people like the, the Buddhists are the one East who are doing the, the persecution in that area. Um, just the idea like, Hey guys, the aliens are here. The aliens are these gods the whole time. So maybe we should rethink how we treat each other. To me, that's what I see the message of that. Yeah, I'm with you completely. But, you know, disclosure is already here amongst us. We just don't know it. Um, for example, India has 1.3 billion people. Okay. The planet has about 7 billion people total. In India, they all believe that Vishnu, Krishna, Rama, Brahma, Namagiri, and their whole pantheon of gods, they believe that they are star people, that they are extraterrestrials, okay? So, right there, at least one-seventh of the planet has, you know, gone through disclosure a long time ago, okay? Indians in the desert southwest of the United States, they all believe, and even the Indians in parts of Mexico, Mesoamerica, uh, the remnants of the Inca Indians in South America, they believe that their gods are the star people. You know, so now you mm-hmm. just keep adding it up, keep adding it up. Uh, your ancient Egyptians that actually are not Muslims, that still believe in the old pantheon of gods with Isis, Osiris, etc., Horus, Set, and the gang, they believe that those were star people that came from Orion and Sirius. You know, so there's a significant portion of the planet that already believes in the whole concept of extraterrestrial seeding our planet. Not to mention Scientologists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, the whole belief system is based on extraterrestrials as well. So it's it's funny. And, you know, people make fun of Scientologists like, oh, yeah, how they believe in, you know, uh, Xenu and the... And the volcanoes. And <laughs> I know. You're, you're it's, ma- it's like you're making fun of them. But if we're going to get religious and we believe in this, that, that, that leap of faith, it doesn't matter if it's a guy walking on water or it's Xenu in the volcano. There's a leap of faith that has to be done where 
to anyone coming from outside the faith, your story is going to sound ridiculous. So I think you have to be able to, to breach that in order to be able to try to understand where other people are coming from. Now, you'll be talking about Enlil and him feeding off our prayer energy and, and what he's trying to do to disclose so he can move on to the next level. And his messenger, back to the beginning of this discussion, the messenger of God, Metatron, Enoch. I think uh, Alan Rickman played Metatron in, in Dogma, right? And so the whole time I'm picturing when you're talking about Enoch slash Metatron, and I want to get to what happened at that UFO conference. So you released the book Yahweh, uh, the, the Biblical God is an Alien, in 2015. And that's what we've been talking about, the idea of our gods uh, that we grew up believing in as extraterrestrials. Now I want to kind of move on to uh, connect that to your second book about the blue beings and what you saw at that UFO conference and what, what those other people saw. And you say that Enoch was one of the ones that you think was talking to you. What happened? Let's just get the quick story of what happened at that UFO conference that inspired you to write a book about it. Okay, so um, I'm sitting by the double doors that come into the conference room at the Experiencers Speak for conference in 2015. Uh, my book, Yahweh, the Biblical God is an Alien, just published it, and I'm actually selling it at the conference, okay? Where's the conference located? What, what city is it? Portland, Maine. Okay, so it's up in Maine. I like Portland, too. It's a nice town. It's actually, it's real pretty. There's all these little islands and islets everywhere. And when mm -hmm. you fly in, it's beautiful. You're in the Northern yeah. Atlantic. You, you fly in over this series of, of little islands everywhere. The water is beautiful. And Portland is, you know, a, a port town. It's a small port town in, in uh, Maine. Um, anyway, but Audrey Starborn Hewins. She is the uh, organizer of this conference. Um, her and her family put on this conference every year. And okay. it's called Experiencers Speak. And the best part about it is that most people that go there are experiencers. So bare minimum, not everybody, but bare minimum, almost everybody has at least seen a UFO, if not has ET contact on a regular basis and every subtle level in between. Okay. So I'm actually the opening speaker at the conference and Audrey asked me to be the opening speaker because she knew that I would create this supernatural kind of milieu if you will to create the vibe to get us all warm and fuzzy and open to the spirit world joining us so okay. so what do I do I tap into the energy of 79 experiencers and I do a séance and I have everybody hold hands and I, I'm not going to do the whole séance right now be no, too no, no, worried right, right too wordy but in effect i say et is in the room with us right now they're just vibrating at a higher frequency than we are and we can't see them with the human naked eye but if you learn how to traverse your body mind spirit you can actually raise your vibration to a higher frequency and look into these extra dimensional realms that coexist with us right now we just can't see them so my goal before the end of this conference is that somebody who's never seen anything before will experience something for the first time and those that walk in multiple worlds like I do will experience contact unlike they ever had before. So let's get the room real quick. So you're conducting the seance. How big is the room here? Imagine it being shaped like an L, okay? Okay. So Travis Walton, Grant Cameron, Tom Reed, um, your A-listers who are selling books, they cannot see. I, where I'm sitting, they cannot see me and I can't see them. But if you're up on stage, you can see everybody, okay? Okay. Um. So anyway, um, Travis Walton is the very last speaker. Um, 
So right when he is about, I'm sorry, right as we're about to play his new DVD entitled Travis, the lights are dimmed because we're about to watch, you know, about a 90 minute movie uh, Mm -hmm. chronicling his abduction, 40 year anniversary going back to 2015 of his abduction back in 1975. Perfect reason and opportunity to do this full-on campaign. Da, 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 da. So the DVD is about to be played, and these four individuals walk in the room just as it's about to be played, and they come up to me, and they say, are you the one that we pay to see Travis? I'm like, no, let me find Audrey. So I find Audrey's twin sister, um, who both of them have been on TV talking about being abductees since they were like five years old. And And Audrey's the one running the conference, right? She is. But anyway, her sister Debbie finds Audrey, and then Audrey uh, receives these four individuals, pulls them into the light because she can't really see because the lights were dimmed. Um, And the guy is holding the money. Imagine you hold a Bible, and one half of the book is in one palm, the other half of the book is in the other palm. That's the way he was holding the money. Okay, which was very strange. And he did not understand the concept of money or even what he had in his hand. So Audrey is like, here, give me four of those and I'll let you in. And they didn't even have enough money, uh, but she let them in anyway. So after she pulls them into the light, she immediately noticed that they had blue skin. There was four of them. Two of them had blue skin. And um, there was this huge confusion about the money. And they finally sorted that out. And then they walk over to Travis. And they say to Travis, more specifically, their leader, who's the oldest one, his name, he called himself Don. And he said, my name is Don because you would not be able to pronounce my real name. Um, They walk up to Travis and he says, "Uh, we came here to see you, Travis. And Travis immediately notices that they have blue skin and uh, says, well, uh, you know, how are you enjoying the conference? They said, well, we we just got here. And so they start picking up his book, start picking up his DVDs, Mm -hmm. messing with all his materials on the table. And then, you know, they had to start the the presentation of the DVD. So these four individuals went and sat down and they sat down right in front of me. And what was very strange, I'm going to explain them real quick. There's a lot to this story, but I don't want to, it takes too much time and I want you to buy the book. And that's what the book is for, right. Um, But anyway, they sit in front of me and um, there's one that we'll call Don. He was their leader. He looked about 65 years old. He had on a a hat. It looked like a a ball cap, but more like a fishing hat, flannel shirt, jeans, white sneakers, uh, script glasses. And he was one with blue skin. Um, The other one with the blue skin was tall, thinned, blonde, Aryan kind of looking, um, hair parted on the side, wearing a hoodie and shorts. Um, and he had blue skin. Then there was another one that was about five foot tall, bald, no hair on his face or his head, except for a five inch Fu Manchu extending downward from the bottom of his chin, kind of like the Egyptians. And then there was one, then there was one that looked just like Jason Martell. If you know who he is, he's been on ancient aliens pretty much since 2009. Um, Tall, dark hair, olive-complected skin, dark eyes. But that particular one had black eyes. He had no white in his eyes whatsoever. Just two huge eye orbits and two big black dispassionate spheres inside his ocular cavities. Total trip. So, yeah, so we're sitting down, we're watching the DVD, and the one that looks like Jason Martell, he gets up about every seven minutes and walks around one of the eight top tables and then goes and sits back down. Seven minutes later, he gets up, walks around the eight top tables, goes and sits back down. He repeats this behavior probably seven times, which I thought was kind of strange and unorthodox. But, um, 
you know, I, but, I didn't but, even get a good look at these guys at this but, point. But let's do let's do a pause. So uh, so where you are, so uh, I got to see the I got to see the Travis movie at the Paradigm Symposium this year, and I, uh, it's a pretty good movie. Number one, so yeah, I, I can see how you were interested in the film when it, <laughs> all this stuff was happening. So you guys are in the L shaped room where part of it is the part where people are selling books, and the other part is where they're showing the movie. And we get to the point of the night they're, they're showing the movie, so these guys pay to get in. And where are you sitting when this is happening? Like the back of the room? You're- yes, I'm in the very back of the room because I deliberately wanted to be by the entrance uh, where the double doors were because I'm selling books. So I had pole position. You open the door, boom, I'm the first person that you would, you would see. Um, anyway, so the DVD is over. Uh, he did a 45-minute question and answer period after that. When that was over, these four individuals got up and walked up to me. They could have walked up to anybody. The first day there were 79 people. The second day there was about 150 people. They could have walked up to anybody in that room and they walked up to me. And Don, their apparent leader, was very strange. He starts talking to me and the first thing he says is the one that looks like Jason Martelli said, that's my son. I love my son. Um, He's been living with his stepfather and his stepfather was drugging him. But now he's back in my care and I'm nurturing him back to health. And so I start telling him, well, you know, bless you. I'm, I'm happy you got your, your son back. He's with his real father and you can nurture him back to health and he's in a better environment. Da, 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 da. And just some small talk. And then he starts asking me about my book. So I show him my book, you right. know, and I put there it is. in his hand, a basic sales tactic, you know, and uh, I open the book, I start showing him the book. And then I, I have my Mac. So I swing my Mac around and I say, if you go to johnpolkmedia.com, you can actually buy it. If you don't have any cash on you right now, you can just buy it. Here's my business card. So I, I gave a blue skin extraterrestrial my business card and was hustling him to buy my book. That's the thing I'm, I'm kind of wondering about. So you're in this position and the lights come back on and obviously the lights had come back for, for Travis's Q&A. And then uh, those guys are there. Now, like what kind of tint is blue skin? Because I'm, I'm trying to imagine it here. And all I can think of when I think of blue skin people are either... The, the obviously the Navi from Avatar or like the zombies from Dawn of the Dead. So was it like a blue tint? How did it look? And was anybody else like, what the hell are these guys with the blue skin doing here? Like, did anybody else kind of sense that of the blueness? Like, what's what was the how blue was their skin? Um, it was more like um, a Mediterranean blue as opposed to a sky blue. More like a um, a more like a, a, a grayish blue, if you will. Okay. Um, instead of, you know, like, um, oh, I don't, I don't know, uh, definitely not a sky blue. So it wasn't a light blue. It was more like a, a grayish blue. Okay. okay. And I, uh, you know, and at one point I got a good look at his hands, even his fingernails were like a grayish blue. And so get this, I'm talking to this guy and he is no more than six inches to a foot away from me the entire time that we're talking. Okay. And uh, I shook his hand. I'm a, I'm a toucher nothing inappropriate, but I, I, sure, I shake right. people's hands. I put my, my hand on their shoulder, on their back, you know, it's, it's sales tactic basically. Uh, but that's the kind of person I am. I'm a toucher, nothing inappropriate, but I, I touch people and I can remember touching this guy and I, you know, I could feel this like electro magnetic energy pulsing through my very being. It was a total trip. So imagine talking to somebody for maybe seven or more minutes, and it took you about seven minutes before it consciously soaked in that this individual has blue skin. So get this, after Audrey uh, had talked to these individuals, got their money, she forgot, completely forgot that they were even in the room. These guys did the Jedi mind trick on us. 
and made half of us black out, go into some mental state of paralysis and forget what they were doing, what we were doing. So at one point I'm talking to him and then a crowd starts to form around us and it's slowly starting to sink in. Oh my God, this guy has blue skin, but I must talk to him for like over five minutes before it's soaked in. And I can remember, imagine you're looking somebody in their eyes, but they have glasses on, but you cannot see past their glasses and they're not sunglasses, okay? I could not see his eyes, but I could see his skin. His hat was pulled curiously low over his eyebrows crown. Um, it took a while for it to sink in. And right when I was going to say, your skin is blue, um, our Keith Andrews, who's one of the other key witnesses, he was psychic of the year like five years ago in Canada. You know, I mean, he used to get paid to, you know, pick up the phone and do psychic readings to people. He sure. walks up, his, his wife noticed them before he did. And um, he he said, your skin is blue. And I was about to say it, but he beat me to the punch. And then Keith starts reeling off some really good questions. He said, well, by any chance, would you be Pleiadian? And he said, yes, I'm Pleiadian. We are Pleiadian. And I'm a shifter. And I'm a healer. And it was starting to blow me away. And so now I have my phone in my hand. And I'm about to just turn a quarter turn. And the guy's maybe a foot away from me at the most, the whole time. And I was about to start taking pictures without even asking him. Right, right, of course. And and right when I did that, that's when I went into a mental state of paralysis and I basically froze and lost time. But prior to that, right when I was about to take those pictures on my phone, the one that looked like Jason Martell, the one that was supposedly drugged by his stepfather, he walks in front of my table. So I'm looking to my left. Picture that. I'm looking to my left. He walks in front of my table to deliberately draw my attention away from Don and the other beings. Um, And he goes, he looks me in the eyes and I see that he had no white in his eyes whatsoever. Imagine looking at somebody's eyes and there's no white in their eyes. It's just two big black spheres. I've never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it in my life ever. And he goes, the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, kind of like Rain Man, bobbing his head as he said it, almost <laughs> sure. like he, almost like he was autistic, and that's when the Jedi mind trick set in, and that's when I started to lose consciousness and lose time. And guess what? Oh. It happened to almost all of us. We all, after they left, we all started talking about how we forgot to take pictures. Ron Sharfy, who's an IT guy does it for a living. He was doing the videography on the conference. And when he went back to review the footage during Travis Walton's presentation, in other words, when the blue beings were in the conference room, there was kind of like this wom 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 wom. There was this tone, like the supernatural tone that you would need dog ears to hear, which was a trip. And so Ron after the fact, he said to me, he said that tone he believed uh played into the hypnotic kind of uh, scenario that we all were placed under. And also, when the the one that looked like Jason Martell went, the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki. And that's all he said to me. Um, he said, I'll bet you that was a trigger mechanism to put you under, to put you into a state of hypnosis. And I, you know, after thinking about what he said, I had to agree with him. And then there was some other things said, and then a, a number of witnesses. There was probably about, I don't know, 15 or more people surrounding us at this point. Um, and uh, 
the other blue being standing next to Don, he can see Don getting real loose and real comfortable and he's fielding questions and people are coming up and hugging him and stuff, including Keith and his wife, Angela, came up and hugged him, um, which was a total trip. And uh, that's when the one next to him said, hey, we got to go. We have to go. We have to go. And they turn around and they left. And one, there's so many odd things to this whole encounter is that when they left, nobody thought to follow them. Nobody thought to follow them out of the conference room. And then Ron Sharfy, the guy who was doing the videography, you know, the conference is over. The blue beings have left the building. He, he needs to make a phone call. Can't get a signal inside the building. So he goes outside. He's outside in front of the hotel and he sees a flash of white light come up off of the roof. And I'm like, well, what do you think that was? He said, I think it was their space-time vehicle transporting them back to wherever they were going. And I'm like, that probably makes a lot of sense. And then after these conferences, uh, Audrey's parents have a house about 40 miles away with a lot of land. you know, And they invite people to bring tents and camp out and build fires and cookouts sure. and the whole bit. And it's for the most part, it's outside. And they do seances and rituals and UFOs show up literally over her parents' property. Um, but it was reported that that same flash of white light happened at the retreat after the conference, like a couple days after the blue being showed up. Um, there's a lot more to the story, but one thing I, I must say before, yeah, yeah. before we quit talking about it or before we wrap up the show is that Travis Walton will not talk about this in any way whatsoever. He won't talk about it, but guess who will? He now is in a full-on relationship with Audrey Hewins, um, and I'm happy for him. They're on Facebook all the time, and they look happy, and I'm happy for them. Yeah, Travis um, is a super nice guy. I, I've been I've been on shows with Audrey where she talked all about Travis's interaction with the blue beings and that he clearly acknowledged that they did have blue skin. She made some very, very astute observations that she looked at their skin and she's looking more specifically at hair follicles to see if there's any cracking of paint or gathering of paint. She's looking for paint is what she's looking for a physical scientific explanation for why these people had blue skin. She's looking at the creases in their faces, their facial lines, because if you smile, contort your face in any way, paint will eventually start to dry and crack. Okay. Sure. Kind of like, kind of like Groom Lake, um, a dry desert bed floor. Mm -hmm. um, but she found no signs of that whatsoever. So everything I say about Travis Walton comes from his steady item girlfriend, sure, girlfriend Audrey Hewins. Sure. Yes. So so that I just need need to make that abundantly clear. He doesn't want to no. talk about it. Somebody close to me saw him at a UFO conference and was talking to him for ten minutes about everything except that <clears throat> and then brought it up about ten minutes into the conversation and he quit talking to her the rest of the conference and they were basically placed at the same table the whole time and he ignored her the rest of the time. Ah uh, well it's for some reason, it's something he doesn't like to mention. Yeah, and I speculate in speculation uh, that he just doesn't want to go through what he went through back in 1975 all over again. All the scrutiny and the criticism and, you know, his family getting harassed and everything else. He just didn't want, he didn't want to deal with it again. Right, let you deal with it. I, I, I will deal let with John it. Let deal with it. I've had people yeah. fight with me tooth and nail over this. I'm like... Why don't you buy the book, you know, buy the book. What I like the connection here, though, is uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked with an author named Joshua Cutchin, who was talking about the smells associated with paranormal events and how the brimstone smell is associated with not just 
like demonic events, but uh, UFOs and Bigfoot sightings and even fairy sightings that people have had. And so what it made me think about was that we were kind of talking about that brimstone that people smell almost feels like it's a trigger for us to either go into some kind of spiritual state or get stuck or it's like it's being used in a way to manipulate our heads. So when you said that the guy started saying Anunnaki, 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 or we have to go, we have to go, we have to go, like there was some physical reaction that you had to their presence that they knew how to manipulate in order to get you guys to forget about them or, you know, to make it so like you have a conversation. It's not like men in black where they have that thing that makes you forget. It's where they can make you have a physical reaction to them of not remembering through some kind of chemical, through some kind of thing. And so it just made me see the connection there. We were just talking about how humans might have some kind of physical trigger that either uh, predisposes them to a experience or uh, is the result of some kind of mind manipulation after a supernatural experience. So for you guys to have that kind of manipulation of your heads at that experience, maybe think of like, what was the trigger that they got with you? Um, I think it goes back to what Ron Sharfy said when he went and reviewed the recording of the of the presentation by Travis, hearing the wah, 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 wah. I think that that tone, you know, you would need dog ears to be able to hear it. Ah, uh, yeah. It was, it was, it was not audible to a human ear, although it affected us physically and mentally, and even emotionally, also. Um, sure. You know, I, I had a hypnotic regression done, and nobody can get me to go under, which really upsets me. Um, but uh, I've had a number of them done; they, none of them really worked very well at all. But the the hypnotherapist would get this like metal object and a metal kind of little hammer and go ding to try and create this tone that's supposed to, you know, put you under hypnosis. A Tibetan prayer ball. You know, you have they have the Tibetan yeah, prayer yeah, balls yeah. The, the thing on the and you they, that sound helps them create the, you know, into the meditation and, and the prayer. Well, and I think prayer is the last question I have for you. John, because, you know, you are the Reverend John Polk. And so, you know, even though we think of the idea that uh, the the gods that people have been praying to for, you know, millennia are extraterrestrials, alien creator gods, when you pray, and I assume with the Reverend you, st- you still pray, when you pray, who do you pray to? I pray to the universal God consciousness. I don't, I don't, I don't pray to the alien creator gods. Although I... I communicate with them. I send them love. Um, what I've learned with dealing with the spirit world and extraterrestrials, and not always, not always, and this is not true for everybody, but the energy you send out is the energy you attract back to yourself. So I always you know, meditate on being surrounded by God's light. It coming down through my crown chakra, going through all my chakras, and everybody seems to forget about you have chakras in your feet. So okay. Through all you know, through my root, through my feet, into the earth energy, and then receiving the earth energy and bringing it back up through my chakras and out the top of my crown again, doing what you call a chimney sweep of your chakras, allowing the God light to bathe you in love and protection. Okay, and then and only then do I even begin to start to pray. And I do affirmations, and usually people and I catch myself doing it. Also, we pray selfishly. You know, God, give me this. God, give me that. I want this. You know, I want whatever it is that is not perfect in my life to be changed so that my life is perfect. Okay. And then once I catch myself doing that, I go, you know what? And this is very important. 
Pray for yourself. It's not wrong to pray for yourself at all. Pray for people that you know. Pray for your family members. But as important as that, pray for people you don't know. Pray for all that God-conscious love energy to be spread around the world and around the multidimensional omniverse to the points of greatest need. You know, and I'm not the one who dictates where or who should receive that energy first or the most. Allow the universal God consciousness to do that for me. So I think that's a very important part of prayer. You know, pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for people you know, but just as important, pray for people that you don't know, that people that are, you know, not, I was born, my parents are rich, grew up in a million dollar condo on the ocean in Daytona. My best, one of my best friends, he ended up, his father died at five years old and he ended up being a Coke dealer. Okay. Um, You know, I, I could have been the next soul in line and that could have been my life. Instead, you know, parents are rich. Yeah, parents are divorced, but I had great parents. And I still do. They're great parents. Not the best married couple, but great parents. Sure. And that, I mean, and, and, and how you feel and, and the love for you and stuff like that is what's important. And I think that's a great message that almost ties into the spirit of Christmas, right? The idea, like, pray for people you don't know. The goodwill toward man, that there's, there's all these people in this world. There's, there's the people we know and we're friends with. There's the people we like. There's ourselves. There's our family. But it's important to think positive thoughts sometimes for the people you don't like and don't know because like, they need that almost more than anybody. I agree. Have you ever heard the statement, um, I don't like you, but I love you? Yeah, right. Yeah. I, do, I don't like you because you have given me reasons not to like you. So I'm not going to spend any amount of time with you, but you need some love in your life. You know, to heal these wounds that make you the less than good person that you are, you know, you don't want to say, you don't want to use the word bad. You don't want to use the word evil. Um, But so less than good, you know, they're less than good. (laughs) That's a good message to end on. And John, if people want to check out your books, they want to learn more about the blue beings and that interesting experience. They want to learn more behind your channeling and your discussions with angels and aliens and uh, Yahweh. Uh, the biblical God is an alien. They want to learn more about that fascinating topic. Where can they find and learn and get your books? Johnpolkmedia.com. That's J-O-H-N-P-O-L-K media.com. Johnpolkmedia.com. On Facebook, uh, I go under Marcus Polk. It's my middle name, Marcus Polk, for my ET Paranormal Facebook account. Uh, Twitter, at Reverend Polk. And also uh, at QH Matrix. Okay. If you want to find all those links real quick, you can get them at our show notes page. And that's going to be othersidepodcast.com slash 123. So, uh, John, thanks for joining us today. I think it's a great message and a lot of interesting things you brought up, stuff I hadn't thought of before. And we appreciate you spending your afternoon with us. Hey, great interview, great questions. And, um, you know, enjoy the holiday season. Looking forward to it. Thank you. So, Wendy, we saw the Travis Walton movie. We sure did, and it was excellent. Yeah, it was a great movie, and Travis was the nicest guy in person. He really was. So John's story really makes me think that if you go see that Travis Walton movie, you might have an extraterrestrial experience yourself. Whoa, okay, so I have the DVD right here. 
Oh yeah. So I would so, put it in tonight. And so to what do see, you think, Mike? I think you should put it in and see if uh, you see some like some weird blue being show up at your house. Maybe I should wait until after the CD release party. Yeah, we need you to get through <laughs> for, <laughs> that, you for the new you. release coming out. I don't want to get month. abducted. But John Polk was a fun guy. Interesting perspectives. Make sure you check out his website for more information. You know, one thing though about John that I thought was interesting, and it really feeds into, I think. Uh, what a lot of people get scared about talking about this kind of stuff. And he said that he got into uh, a lot of trouble with his whole Yahweh is an alien thing. Jesus is an alien hybrid, you know? Uh-huh. And so at the beginning of his book, he's got this statement. And let me, let me read you the first half of the statement. Okay. In the near future, if I get audited or arrested for child pornography, soliciting a minor, rape, murder, hookers, drugs, anything that goes against my character, it's because the government, the Illuminati, and others want to keep me silent. I allege that Herman Cain was set up in a similar fashion with prostitutes when he announced his candidacy for president. What better way to shut me up than to put me in prison or even crucify me through character assassination? Wow. Yeah. That's serious stuff. Like, that's not the kind of thing you would right. just throw out there. <laughs> Unless you actually felt there might be a threat, you know? That somebody's gonna, you know, that somebody actually might try to discredit you in the way of, you know, planting a dead hooker in your trunk or something like that. So, I just, I'd never read a book before with an opening statement like that. So, it's like, if you were interested in the kind of stuff we talked about today, then this book is gonna really have some interesting thoughts for you. I'll say, wow. from the statement alone, I'm like, okay, I know this is going to be a little different. So thanks to Reverend John for joining us and sharing his perspective. And I wish we'd have more nativity scenes with aliens in them. Me too. Well, we can always modify our own, right? Yeah. Just put a little alien Jesus in there. This week's song, we decided to make it our our special Christmas song for uh, this episode. And we decided to go for it all the way and uh, go with the theme of this particular interview. And that is Jesus is an alien.
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Ho, ho, ho! (laughs) Merry Christmas to all the Other Side Podcast patrons! Ho, ho, ho! You'll get something a little extra in your stocking this year. (laughs) And I'd oh. like to especially thank Ned. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Merry Christmas. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. 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 We have to go. We have to go. We have to go. Ding.